Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 7 and go through verse 12. Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would... Speak to us today, remind us that the victory is already yours, and the victory can be ours in Jesus. Amen. In the book of Genesis, we're going to start all the way at the beginning today. In the book of Genesis, God creates the world, and it's perfect. In Genesis 1 and 2, we are told that the world that God created is good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. But then in Genesis 3, out of nowhere, we are introduced to a talking serpent that shows up in God's perfect world, in God's perfect garden that he made, and this serpent tempts Eve to disobey God's commandments. Before the fall of human beings, before Adam and Eve sin, there is another creature that already existed that was in rebellion against God. Eve was not the first sinner. She was the second. Before the creation of the heavens and the earth, evil already existed. And it was the fall of Adam and Eve that brought that evil into our world. There seems to be a prequel to the Bible that we don't really have access to. There's a backstory to the Bible that we don't know a lot about. It's the backstory of the ancient serpent, the one that the Bible calls the, calls the devil or Satan, the one that the book of Revelation calls the dragon. It's the backstory about how sin and evil entered into existence, it seems, before our own world was created. Now, there is a common story in most of our imaginations about an angel named Lucifer, who was the most beautiful of God's angels. Maybe God's second in command, or as some people retell the story, that maybe he was the music director in heaven. And as this story is most commonly told, Lucifer was so beautiful that he became prideful and rebelled against God and took a bunch of angels with him and decided that it would be better to reign in hell than to be a slave in heaven. 
and he's been tempting humanity to join him in his rebellion against God ever since. Is that the story that's in your mind most commonly about where Satan came from? You've heard that story, right? Okay, that's up there, right. That is the common origin story. The common backstory about Satan that is in our imaginations. But the truth is, the specifics of that story that I told come from John Milton's Paradise Lost rather than from the Bible. Now, there are some vague references that John Milton picked up and used from Ezekiel and Isaiah and the the passage that I just read in Revelation 12 to fill in that story. That is the common story in our head, but that story... Um, is at best fuzzy in the Bible. The truth is, the Bible doesn't really give us much information about the backstory of who the one in Revelation calls the dragon, the one who is the source of evil and sin. But the Bible in the book of Revelation is very clear that the dragon or Satan, he is real. And he is at war with God. He is the first sinner, the first one who rebelled against God. He is your enemy, and he hates you, and he wants to steal and kill and destroy your life and your faith. And the Bible also tells us good news about the dragon, that in the cross and resurrection, Satan became a defeated enemy, and his time is short. The Bible, and specifically the book of Revelation, is clear that Jesus, the Lamb, is and forever will be victorious over our ancient enemy, the devil or Satan, the ancient serpent, the dragon. Jesus, the Lamb, is victorious over all evil. Jesus wins. He conquers sin and death. Now, over these last few weeks, we have been asking this question. How do we remain faithful to the Lamb? How do we remain faithful to Jesus the Lamb in a world that is feverishly following the dragon? And we've been paying attention to four truths that are shown to us in Revelation chapter 6 through 16. And that is that the Lamb is sovereign over history, that the Lamb is shepherd of his people, that the Lamb is just in all his judgments, and that the Lamb is victorious over all evil. And this is the last one we're going to look at in this, this, these themes today, that the Lamb is victorious over all evil. The, the Greek word for to have a victory is nikao. It means to conquer or to gain victory or to overcome. This is where the sports brand Nike gets its name. Nike was the Greek goddess of victory. Nikao means to overcome, to conquer, to be victorious, to get or to gain the victory. Jesus, the Lamb, gets the victory in Revelation over evil. He is the champion. We introduced our kids to the 1990s song, The Champion, by Carmen a couple weeks ago. Does anyone remember that song? I'm not sure how a song can be so incredibly cheesy and awesome at the same time, but that song somehow was able to find the nexus of cheesy and awesome at the same time. Jesus is the champion. 
In Revelation, Jesus wins. He is victorious over all evil. And what we also see in Revelation is that there is a call for followers of Jesus to Nikao too. The call for followers of Jesus is to follow the Lamb wherever he goes so that we also will overcome. So that we will also be victorious. So that we will share in the victory of the Lamb. All seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 finish with a promise. To him who overcomes, I will give something. To him who nikao, I will give something. Revelation 2, 7, to him who overcomes, nikao, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life. 2.14, he who overcomes, Nikao, will not be hurt at all by the second death. 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna and a white stone with a new name. 2.26, to him who overcomes, Nikao, I will give authority over the nations. 3, verse 5, he who overcomes will be dressed in white and his name will never be blotted from the book of life. 3, 12, to him who overcomes, Nikao, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. 3, 21, to him who overcomes, Nikao, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame, just as I, Nikao, and sat down with the Father on his throne. To him who overcomes. To him who nikaos are great promises waiting for us. But conquers what? Is victorious over what? What are followers of Jesus called to overcome in these letters? The call is to overcome the pressure to deny Jesus. A couple months ago, I introduced you to another Greek word. I don't do a whole lot of Greek word studies, but we're going to get a couple today. A couple months ago, we looked at the Greek word, which is thalipsis, which means suffering or tribulation or pressure. Thalipsis, suffering or tribulation or the pressing together. It's a word that describes the pressing of grapes to bring out their juices. Or the pressing of olives to press out their oil. Philipsis, suffering, persecution, tribulation, pressure. We are told to overcome the philipsis, the tribulation, the pressure that we experience in the world to deny Jesus. And remember that in the seven letters, we read that each of those seven churches had their own unique temptation to deny Jesus. For some of them, the temptation came in the form of overt persecution for their faith. The authorities in their city at that time were actively persecuting Christians, even killing them in some places because of their faith in Christ. And so Jesus encourages them to overcome, to nikao this thalipsis, to overcome this suffering, to overcome this pressure, to conform to the world rather than to conform to the pattern of Jesus. For other churches, the pressure came not by being overtly persecuted with violence, but this pressure to conform to the safety and security and wealth of the city. 
They were under pressure to conform to the pattern of this world. And so Jesus calls them to wake up and to nikao, to overcome this thalipsis, to conform to this pattern of comfort and safety and security and wealth that the world had offered to them. And instead to conform themselves to the pattern of Jesus. Revelation tells us that there is a war taking place between the dragon and the lamb and his followers. The dragon is putting thalipsis on us, and so we must stay close to the lamb so that we will overcome. The dragon is putting pressure on us, causing tribulation and suffering for us, but we are called to follow the lamb so that we can participate in his victory. The Lamb will be victorious over all evil. He will bring his judgment on evil. And so we must be very careful to remain close to him so that we will not receive the judgment and condemnation of evil that is coming. So I want to take a few minutes today to, uh, to go back and to take a look at a chart that I, I introduced to you at, the, I think, the very first sermon on the book of Revelation about different ways to interpret the book of Revelation. And I want to apply this to how we consider this pressure or thalipsis or suffering or tribulation that we see in the book of Revelation. Do you guys remember this? So as we look at the different ways that the book of Revelation has been interpreted throughout the centuries, um, there's uh, some people who have put together this, um, this chart to help us understand how to map out how different people have interpreted the book of Revelation. Uh, for some, they have focused on uh, the events of Revelation as events that have happened in the past, particularly in the first century. Um, other people who have interpreted Revelation have, have looked at the book of Revelation as a way to understand our present time. And then others look at the book of Revelation as a way to interpret things that are going to happen in the future. And then with that is two different ways, the code or a lens. One is to try to figure out how the specific stories and symbols and numbers relate to things that either happened in the past or things that happened uh, that will happen in the future. And what I shared with you is that the approach that, that I am taking as we look through the book of Revelation is really to see the book of Revelation as a lens to help us understand what's happening in our world and in history in the present. It's a pulling back of the curtain to show us what is happening in history and in our world right now from the perspective of heaven. And the benefit of this way of interpreting the book of Revelation is that it offers encouragement and hope to Christians in every time and place to be faithful to Jesus at all times and in every situation where they may be facing thalipsis, pressure, tribulation, and suffering. Because as God's people, we must be on guard at all times against the dragon. We are called to live lives of repentance, and we must be ready at all times for the Lord's second coming, where he will come and deal finally and completely with sin through his judgment. And so I've suggested to you that reading Revelation as a lens helps us to see that every Christian that has ever lived, every Christian in Fort Wayne today, can read the book of Revelation and identify the temptations of the dragon and the pressures of the beasts in their own particular context. 
And even more importantly, every Christian who has ever lived is able to experience the Lamb shepherding them through the pain and through the suffering and persecution that they endure as followers of the Lamb. One of the questions that I've been asked dozens of times as a pastor is whether I believe that we are in the end times. My answer to that question is yes. We are in the end times, and we have been ever since Jesus rose from the dead. The New Testament writers frequently said that they were living in what they call the last days. Now, when I give that answer to people, it's usually pretty unsatisfying. I kind of see this unsatisfying look come over their face. Because what it's really being asked is whether or not I believe that the particular historical events happening in our world are leading up to what is known as the Great Tribulation, and whether we need to be ready for that Great Tribulation that's right around the corner. But what I want to suggest to you, and the way we read this as a lens, is that we always, always, always need to be ready for Tribulation. Always be ready to be overcome. Always ready to be victorious over the pressure to conform to the pattern of this world. I'm seeking to teach you to read Revelation in this way so that you will be ready. Not ready only for some future worldwide great tribulation that may be coming, but ready for whatever tribulation you are going to experience today and tomorrow and the next day. The truth is, there are great tribulations happening in the world against Christians all the time and have been for 2,000 years. There are more martyrs that died in the 20th century than in any other time in world history. Six years ago, we watched in horror as dozens of our Egyptian brothers were marched along a beach in orange jumpsuits and were beheaded by ISIS extremists. Do you remember those images? If that wasn't a great tribulation in their lives and for their families and for those communities of believers in Egypt, I really don't know what great tribulation really means. If that wasn't a great tribulation for them that they had to be ready for, I don't know what great tribulation means. For for that moment in their life, they had to be ready to stand and to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And for them, it meant following Him all the way to death. There is good reason in the Bible to believe that at some point in the future, there will be a worldwide great tribulation. But you and I have to be ready right now, today, for whatever tribulation, whatever pressure comes our way that would cause us to deny Christ, we have to be ready. And as we saw in the seven letters to the churches earlier in Revelation, sometimes that tribulation... That pressure doesn't come in the form of overt persecution. The pressure to conform, to deny Christ, doesn't always look like a guillotine or a firing squad or men with swords on a beach. The pressure to conform comes in many different forms and disguises. In the letters to the seven churches, some of them faced pressure from direct persecution, even the threat of death, the danger of losing their lives or their livelihood through violence. But it was different for other churches. 
For other churches, the pressure came through comfort, through security, through safety, through grabbing on to the wealth of that city in a way that denied Christ. And brothers and sisters, as Christians that enjoy the comforts and safety and security and wealth in America, that is at least a part of the tribulation that you and I have to resist and face right now. The pressure to conform, to just go along with the world, to enjoy and receive the comforts and safety and security and wealth of our world and to allow those things to or cause allow those things to cause us to ignore or to deny Christ or to deny our dependency on him. Please listen. If we only read Revelation merely to prepare ourselves for a future great tribulation where guillotines and firing squads are set up and being made ready for Christians, we may be blind to the way that we are tempted every day with tribulation after tribulation to conform right now. Do you remember Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed? Peter was ready to die with Jesus. Jesus, I will die for you. He was ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, and I believe that he would have. I believe that that night when he drew his sword in the face of that armed group of guards that came to arrest Jesus, I believe he knew when he drew that sword that it was possible that he was going to die for Jesus right there, right in that moment. He was ready to die for him. But he wasn't willing to look like a fool in the eyes of a little girl as he stood by a charcoal fire. He wasn't ready for the pressure. He was ready to do the big and the bold thing. He was ready to die for Jesus. He was ready to be a hero for Jesus. But he wasn't ready for his own unique temptation to not look like a fool. And that caused him to deny Jesus not once or twice, but three times that night. Friends, by all means, let's be ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. But you may be preparing yourself for a heroic death for Jesus' sake, but the real danger in your life, the real tribulation, the real pressure to conform and deny Jesus is something else altogether, something quieter, something much more subtle. The dragon is crafty and he is no fool. And he is glad to steal your faith by the fear of violent persecution or by the comforts and safety and security of wealth that choke out our faith. And I suggest to you that right now, for most Christians in America, it's not violent persecution, but comfort and safety and security and wealth that's choking out our faith. That's the pressure to conform. That's our thalipsis, our tribulation that we have to fight against every single day. Do you hear what I'm saying? What is your philipsis? What is your pressure? Maybe it's the way that you follow the dragon with your money or with sex. For many Christians in America, we have given our allegiance to a particular brand of partisan politics. Our sense of well-being about life, our peace comes whether or not our guy is in office or not. 
That is a reflection of the way that we've given over to the pressure to conform and believing that the church's health and barometer of of strength is how much influence we have in Washington, D.C. That is a pressure to conform that many Christians in America are losing to. Or if it's not money or sex or political influence for you, maybe it's the pressure for you to keep up your reputation. Or maybe it's some form of safety or comfort. We are daily in danger of following the dragon, of denying Jesus and submitting ourselves to anyone or anything other than him. The world is feverishly following the dragon, and sometimes we just go along. And I believe that Revelation equips us. It helps us to see that we are always at war with this dragon, this enemy of our souls. And Christians are always called to overcome to be victorious by following the Lamb wherever he goes. So I want to talk about how we participate in the victory of the Lamb. How does the book of Revelation tell us that we can participate in the victory of the Lamb? There are four points that I want to make, and then we'll finish. Repentance, prayer, by telling your story, And by being ready. Repentance, prayer, by telling your story, and by being ready. Let's begin with repentance. We spent some time last week looking at the three cycles of seven that we read in Revelation chapter 6 through 16. The opening of seven seals, the blowing of seven trumpets, the pouring out of seven bowls. And we said last week that those are all expressions of God's judgment on a sinful world. And last week we saw that one of the main reasons that God brings his judgment into the world is to cause people to turn around. To cause people to repent. That's one of the reasons that we see and experience suffering and pain all around us is that God is seeking desires to use that suffering and pain to cause us to turn around and to repent. In these three cycles of seven, we see something very interesting at the sixth movement of each of those cycles. After the sixth seal is open, after the sixth trumpet is blown, and after the sixth bowl of God's wrath is poured out, the book of Revelation tells us how the nations, how people in the world respond to God's judgment. So at each sixth movement of these cycles, we get a report on how people are responding to these judgments. So the first is the opening of the sixth seal. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Let's hear how the world responds to these judgments that the world is experiencing. Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. It says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? We see here that the kings of the nations and uh, the, the poor and the rich, the slave and the free, all alike, they all respond to God's judgment with fear. 
with fear. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When the world experiences God's judgment of being turned over to the consequences of their own sin and evil that should cause people to fear the Lord, the plagues and wars and famine and disease are a revelation of God's judgment, and that should cause us to fear the Lord and to repent, to turn. But there is no evidence after the sixth seal is opened that the nations repent. And so we come to the next cycle, the cycle of the blowing of the seven trumpets. And at the blowing of the sixth trumpet, we get another report of how the nations respond to the judgment of God. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. John reports this time that they no longer fear the Lord at all, and they simply refuse to repent. There's no more fear. There's no more hiding in the mountains from the wrath and judgment of God. Now they simply don't repent at all. Let's look at the next cycle of seven, the pouring out of the sixth bowl of God's wrath. Revelation chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Verse 16, then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, to war against God. The report here is that people no longer respond to the judgment of God with fear and no longer with simple passive non-repentance, but now the people of the earth are in active rebellion gathering for war against God. There is a progression here in these cycles of humanity's response to God's judgment. Fear, and that is a proper and good thing when we face God's judgment. And if that fear of the Lord is not properly tended to, if there's not a proper response to the the fear of the Lord, then we will remain in unrepentance. And if we remain in unrepentance, we become, in the end, rebels against God. Fear of the Lord, and then unrepentance, and then active rebellion against God. This is the pattern of humanity in the face of the judgment of God. And I suggest to you, it will be the pattern in your own life if you do not practice persistent repentance. If the fear of the Lord is not properly tended to in your own life with repentance, then that fear will erode into passive non-repentance, and that non-repentance will eventually become rebellion against God. So if we are going to participate in the victory of the Lamb, we need to be people who are quick to repent of our sin and to remain close and attached to Him. So I ask you today, What part of the gospel is offensive to you? 
What part do you not like to hear? Which part are you avoiding? What area of your life are you hiding from God? What area of your life are you hiding from other people? Where are you not being honest about who you are? What needs to be brought out into God's healing light so that you can repent, turn around, and walk towards Jesus and to begin to experience the victory over sin and evil that he has for you? Participating in the victory of the Lamb, the first part of that is repentance. The second is prayer. Turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. For those of you who feel called to prayer, first of all, thank you for the work that you do in our church. And I pray that this image will light up your mind and your imagination and encourage you to continue to pursue prayer. By the way, this Tuesday evening is our corporate prayer time each month. If you come at 645 and we have um, child care for you here on this first Tuesday of the month, come and, and join um, our elders and other prayer uh, leaders for prayer. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hands. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is an incredible image of the prayers of the saints that has been lifted up to God, then being hurled back into the earth. That our prayers are a part of the way that God responds to the world. It's the way that he decides to bring about his judgment in the world. What an image that the prayers of God's people are then hurled back to the earth. Lord, how long? God moves in response to our prayers. So what is it that makes your heart ache to see the justice of God come in the world? The persecuted church throughout the world. Abortion. Racial injustice. The sex trade. Broken marriages. People struggling with depression. What is it that breaks your heart? Lift those up to God in prayer, and then they will be hurled back down to the earth in God's judgment, in his making right of the world. What an incredible image for prayer. God moves when his people pray to him. And the image here is that he brings his justice, his writing of the world, when we pray. So cry out to the Lord for the justice that you long to see in the world. Third, tell your story. We participate in the victory of the Lamb when we tell our story. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night have been hurled down. They overcame, they nikao, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink 
from death. If you are a follower of Jesus, part of your story is that you can only be victorious if you have been covered over by the blood of the Lamb. That is the common part of all of our story as followers of Jesus. We join with him in his victory when we are baptized into his death and raised into his life. So part of every one of our story is that our eternal life is dependent on the mercy and forgiveness of God made available to us through the blood of Jesus. It is a part of every one of our story. And then it says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That you have your own story, your own testimony of God's goodness in, in your life. And so if we are going to participate in the victory of the Lamb, we overcome the thalipsis by remembering the blood of the Lamb and by telling our story. By giving and offering our testimony of God's goodness in our life. And I love that at Broadway we have regular events every month where men gather together to hear one man's testimony of God's good work in their life. One testimony of the way one man has overcame because of Jesus. And we have a journey night about once a month where ladies get together and they listen to one woman share their story their testimony of how through Christ they have overcome. So one of the ways that we participate in the victory of the Lamb is by telling our story, giving the word of our testimony. So be quick to share your story. And last comes from the last part of verse 11. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We need to be, as I said a few weeks ago, ready for either. Remember that image of the the bull. I kept wanting to say buffalo, and I knew that was great. <laughs> the bull standing in front of the altar and standing next to the plow. And it's this image of a bull that's ready to take up the plow and do good work for the kingdom, or the bull that's ready to be placed on the altar and to make the ultimate sacrifice. And so today, if we are going to participate in the victory of the Lamb, we need to be ready for either one of those. Good work and service to God and service to his kingdom today or also ready to make the ultimate sacrifice on the altar. So we need to be ready. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you have given us a way through Jesus to experience victory. We thank you that the victory already belongs to him and is now available to us through faith in Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would each live out that faith today, that we would do it through repentance, through prayer, through telling our story, and through daily being ready. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.